Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about how to avoid getting ripped off by a financial advisor because there's some pretty really simple steps that you can take uh, to make sure that you don't get uh, harmed or ripped off or stolen from uh, as we tend to read in the media. And I don't know if you've been following, there's a Sydney-based financial advisor that's allegedly stolen uh, $25 million from her clients. Her name is Melissa Caddick. Uh, and she's uh, mysteriously gone missing, and in fact her severed foot has uh, washed up on the coast of New South Wales, Uh, and some people are proposing that she's actually gone and cut it off uh, to sort of fake her own death, if you like. But it's a a kind of interesting story on one level, but obviously a terrible story with uh, clients being uh, ripped off and so forth. Now, Obviously, con artists go to great lengths to, you know, conceal their wrongdoings. But as I said, there's a few simple things that you can do to sort of protect yourself. Um, that's prudent checks to to undertake before, you know, trusting someone with with your money. Now, the first one is to understand the distinction between a fund manager and a financial advisor, because uh, a lot of the, the the large frauds that have occurred. Uh, have occurred because uh, we have we don't have an independent uh, financial advisor. What we have is a fund manager, and um, and that's a completely different relationship. So what you want is an independent financial advisor, and an independent financial advisor is someone that doesn't run or control your investments. They're an independent third party uh, that sits between you and the fund managers that that they might choose, select, or Higher and fire over time, uh, and that means that they can um, assess and critically analyse the performance of those fund managers without any fear or favour. Of course, if I start running my own managed investment fund uh, and and start recommending it to clients, uh, I lack independence and um, and transparency and so forth, uh, and that's what uh, that's where problems can uh, can occur. So if you're dealing with a fund manager, that's fine, but you need to um, probably be even more careful uh, with who that is and so forth. Uh, But I would be suggesting you're much better off to have an independent financial advisor. And if they choose to deal with different fund managers, they know the ins and outs of the industry. They know who to ask, who to talk to, what research to do, uh, and, and who to trust uh, and then they can they can take responsibility for making that decision. At ProSolution, we use a variety of fund managers and exchange-traded funds or ETF providers. Um, but the benefit is that our clients can go directly to their website uh, and there's a lot of transparency associated with these investments. They can look at performance and fees and underlying assets and what the portfolio looks like. You know, it's very, very simple What happens with some of these frauds is the financial advisor, I'll put that in inverted commas, uh, says, okay, Mr. Client, give me the money and I'll invest it. And these are the returns that uh, have been uh, occurring or I've produced over uh, a period of time and they're all fake. uh, And then they end up sort of taking their money and running. So uh, the first thing you can do is make sure that you have someone that's independent 
that knows the industry that can take responsibility for doing the due diligence on fund managers. The next thing you want is really good internal controls. Uh, so it's it, so it's acceptable for you to um, authorize and actually expect your financial planner to make investments on your behalf, but they shouldn't be able to withdraw the monies from the investment platform that they use. So, um, for example, we use the Macquarie Wrap product. Um, uh, clients can transfer monies into that uh, platform. Uh, we then go and invest those monies, but we cannot, we have, do not have permission to withdraw monies off that platform. Only the client can uh, request that, uh, and Macquarie will have certain checks in place. They'll either call the client, uh, send them a, uh, a code that they need to input into the system and so forth. So there's really good um, protections uh, around client monies from that perspective. The second thing is you want to have a custodian holding your assets. So this is just to really manage counterparty risk. So if we go and use an investment platform, let's say, for example, the Macquarie platform that we use, and if Macquarie goes bust one day, what happens to your assets? Well, all those assets are held by a custodian, so they're held on trust, uh, that Macquarie can't get at, at those assets. So neither can the advisor, nor obviously Macquarie, they're protected, they're held on trust. So a custodial relationship um, is very important and, um, and it also provides you know, some, some good legal controls around protecting your assets and protecting your monies. You won't typically find a custodial relationship with unlisted managed funds. And, and a lot of these um, frauds that are committed, I'm not saying all unlisted funds are risky, uh, but that, but there's because of the lack of controls, they do lend themselves to greater levels of fraud. So it's something to be uh, careful about. Now, what can you do to check out the financial advisor or even particular fund manager uh, before you trust them? Well, there's a couple of checks that you can run. And if any of Melissa Caddick's uh, clients, if any of them had have done just a few simple checks that you can do online that take no more than a minute... Uh, they would have avoided being ripped off significantly. So the first one is, and I have, of course, the links on the blog on the website and in the show notes, but the first one is to, to do a search of the financial advisor register. So it's a relatively new register, only been around for two, three, four, four, four no more than four years, definitely. Uh, and it's on the government's uh, Money Smart website. Uh, and essentially, it'll tell you a lot about uh every financial advisor that's licensed in Australia. So the first one is you want to make sure they are in fact licensed. Uh, and Melissa Caddick never actually appeared on this register. So even just a simple check would have highlighted that she's not a licensed financial advisor. Uh, but in addition to that, it'll tell you lots of other things like what qualifications the advisor has, their experience, how long they've been licensed for, whether they've had any disciplinary actions, uh, their professional memberships and their training records. So a really good summary of kind of the key data. But the number one thing is you want to make sure, I guess, firstly, that they're, uh, they're a licensed financial advisor. And then secondly, uh, just get a, a brief overview of what their sort of past experience looks like. Uh, an advisor must be uh, an authorised representative of an Australian Financial Services Licence, or the acronym is AFSL. Uh, at that, so they either need to be an authorised rep or they need to hold a licence themselves. Uh, every licence has a number. 
And so there's a, another website, again, the link's in the show notes, where you can uh, search the AFSL number uh, and see who they're licensed by and then maybe do some research, Google them, exact, for example, um, and do some research of who who is the license holder and are they a reputable business. Again, in Melissa Caddick's uh, situation, is she would quote an AFSL number, but in fact the, the business that held that financial services license had no idea she was doing that and was certainly not uh, doing it with their authority. Uh, so sometimes reaching out to that uh, AFSL holder and say, look, is this person licensed by you? Uh, that, that would have been another check that would have helped people, you know, those two simple checks would have helped people at least uh, highlight there's something going wrong here and um, be able to take some action. And of course, a good old-fashioned Google search uh, doesn't hurt as well. Uh, Googling the advisor's name or the advisor's business, uh, seeing if there's any information, uh, reports, reviews, those sorts of things on that individual. Now, of course, a lot of us, when going out and trying to find a professional uh, that we need advice from, uh, a lot of us rely on our on referrals from people that we trust. Uh, and I, I think, obviously, that speaks some volumes that, you know, if, if I have a, a friend or a colleague that I respect... Uh, that has had a relationship with a financial advisor for 10 years, for example, uh, and has been very happy with the outcomes of that relationship, that that then speaks volumes and gives me a lot of comfort. But that comfort shouldn't be a substitute for those other basic checks that I've just outlined above, um, because sometimes you've got to be careful of sort of confirmation bias. So I don't know if you may or may not recall a few years ago, could be up to 10 years ago, there was a US con man called Bernie Madoff, and he stole over $80 billion from his clients. Uh, in this situation, uh, a lot of his new clients, the way he got new clients was referrals from old clients. Because it was a Ponzi scheme, he was saying, look, we, we achieved 20% returns last month, tell your friends. And of course, then the friends go, well, this guy is a smart guy, he's a rich guy, he wouldn't be investing with Bernie if it was if it was you know fake, he would have done all the checks. And so sometimes too much reliance uh, on the people that we know and trust, uh, feeling like they've done the due diligence, uh, can be um, can be risky. Uh, so so yes, get referrals, rely on referrals, but don't let that necessarily be a substitute for your own uh, checks. And of course, the old adage: if it sounds too good to be true. Uh, than it typically is. And look, the reality is no one can control markets. I can't control markets. Markets will do what markets will do. So therefore, I can't then go to a client and say, I promise to deliver this return. I, I can't. I don't know what the returns will be. What I can control is where we invest. So that's asset allocation. Uh, so making sure that we've got a, a good robust, diverse asset allocation that, that avoids the risks and picks up the opportunities. And the other thing I can control is the investment methodology. And I can say, look, here's all the evidence that demonstrates if we had have used this investment approach and methodology over the last 30 years, this is what the returns would have been. I don't know what the returns are going to be for the next 30 years, but surely to my mind, it gives us some sense of comfort that um, these resu results are, are probably repeatable to some extent. But if the market's going to give us zero returns, the market is the market. We, we can't get blood from a stone. So 
if if you find someone that's promising returns, and in particular promising high returns, uh, that would raise uh, alarm bells in my mind, uh, and you want to be a little bit sceptical in regards to that situation. And lastly, before I finish off, I think probably the key thing here is to recognise that there's really two types of professionals that can help you invest your money. And it's really, really, really important that you understand the distinction between the two. So the first one, let's call them just investment managers. And so that could include people like stockbrokers, uh, a, a property buyer's agent, a fund manager, an ETF provider, those sorts of things. Uh, because they earn income, if only you invest in with them, then they have a conflict of interest. They're, one of their key um, commercial aims is to get you to invest with them and remain invested with them. And, and so you just must be absolutely clear that there is a conflict of interest, that they're not necessarily sitting on your side of the table, uh, and they and they um, and they could be in a situation where they might have bad news, and they don't necessarily want to share that bad news with you because of the commercial consequences or outcomes. So they're just they're investment managers. They're important to have. You need to use them, but let's not pretend they're the same as having an independent financial advisor. As I said, an independent financial advisor sits on your side of the table, which is a term used by a, a friend and colleague, another advisor, Matt Ross, and I'll, I'll lend it on this occasion. But I think it's really good that, it, you know, um, a good saying to sort of represent that we're representing your best interests. And an independent advisor should not have any vested interests on what you invest in. Uh, on They shouldn't have a stake in the advice outcome. Uh, so whether my clients invest all their money or none of their money and whether they invest it in property or shares or where they put their super, I have no vested interest in. From my personal perspective, I couldn't care what the answer is. Uh, I would just want the answer to be whatever's going to work for them, whatever's the most appropriate. And, and therefore, I can represent my client's best interests without fear or favour. I can say, no, I think that's a terrible investment for you um, it might be a good investment for someone else, but it, and, it, and it, it doesn't matter to me from a commercial perspective. And that's what you really want is someone that's independent. And if you had those people, if, if Melissa Caddick's clients used an independent advisor, that almost certainly uh, not have been ripped off. Notwithstanding that, the, the whole theme of this podcast is just to point you in the direction of the three critical checks that I think you should do before trusting anyone, uh, a financial advisor or fund manager. First one is search the financial advisor registry on MoneySmart. Uh, the second one is search the AFSL, the Australian Financial Services Licence Holder, uh, make sure they're a reputable business and potentially consider reaching out to them to verify that the person is in fact authorised by them. Uh, and third ensure your advisor is completely independent if that's what you're looking for as opposed to a investment manager. They're the three things. If you do those three steps, um, I'm not aware of any uh, situation where there's been fraud uh, that those three steps wouldn't have prevented uh, the perpetrator from being successful. Now, that's not to say that 
uh, they're guaranteed, of course. Uh, you know, the, the fraudsters can be very tricky about these sorts of things, but um, uh, at least it puts you in very good stead. Uh, and if you know people that are considering using a financial planner or benefit from learning about these three steps, uh, really, frankly, the more the merrier. Of course, I have a vested interest in sharing the podcast, but this is really about um, helping people spend two minutes online to make sure that no one takes their money. Uh, I think it's a good thing to share. Well, that's it for me uh, for this week. Uh, you might have seen that uh, Mina Abraham and I uh, which is our uh, uh, partner of uh, tax business uh, at ProSolution, have produced a another podcast called The Holistic Accountant. Uh, so uh, the aim of this podcast is to really uh, demonstrate and set out how people that are in business can use their business to build their personal wealth in a tax-effective manner. So it's really about making sure that the accounting approach uh, considers tax outcomes as well as financial planning ones. And so if you are in that uh, position or know someone that is, uh, please uh, mention the Holistic Accountant podcast to them. That's it for me for this week. Until next week, bye for now.